Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Before we begin this marathon, let's give it up for the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. They call me Ben, our good friend, uh, ride or die, better half of the show, Mr. Noel Brown, is returning very soon and sends his regards. In the meantime... We have a special event here in today's episode. Uh, We are talking Olympics. We are talking the history, what went right, what went wrong. We're, We're drilling down into something specific and ridiculous. We're not doing this alone. Uh, Fellow ridiculous historians, please join me in welcoming our special guest, a world renowned expert on the 1904 Olympics, Mr. Max Williams. So happy, so happy, so happy now. So happy, I just gotta say that. So happy, so happy. Yes, I'm happy that you're my baby. Howdy, 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 howdy. I am here. <laughs> yes, uh, astute. Astute historians, you may recognize this voice. This is the guy who produces this show. This is also the guy who helms some notable episodes of one of my favorite podcasts, Ephemeral. Uh, Max, can you tell uh, can you tell any of the uninitiated a little bit about Ephemeral? Yeah, Ephemeral is a story where we kind of just try to dig into, you know, Stories that aren't told enough. So ephemeral, its definition kind of means this is a bad scribing of it, but <laughs> um, like things that are lost or are easy to be lost. So easiest direct comparison would be like fleeting. So what we try to do is give stories that can be fleeting or easily lost to history some mm. life and some longevity because, you know, that is the beauty of podcasting is it's, you know, in, in its digital form, it is easy to be up. But then, you know, that brings up a whole other debate about how ephemeral our podcast. We don't know that yet. We are still in the early stages of <laughs> the life cycle of podcasts, so we won't know that for a while. So full disclosure, folks, uh, Noel and I both play a little bit of a role in the show Ephemeral. I think it is fascinating uh, and I think you nailed the definition, Max. Uh, if you... If you've ever ever farted by yourself and asked whether a fart that no one hears is an actual fart, these are the questions Ephemeral tackles, as well as additionally, (laughs) Max, you're shaking your head, as well as 
questions about uh, things like uh, the fascinating film Carnival of Souls, as well as things like the, um, oh gosh, the evolution and dissolution of so many, so many um, eras of pop culture. Like, uh, Max, can you tell everybody a little bit a little bit more about specific episodes that are close to your heart. Yeah. So like some of the ones I've worked on in the last like year plus I did a, we did an episode about Herc Harvey, which is a dive into, he was obviously the director of Carnival Souls. One of your favorite movies, Ben, he has a career uh, similar to like George Romero, where it wasn't like he was a director and doing all stuff. He made educational films for this company called Centron located out of Oklahoma. So it's kind of an interesting tale of like this guy who made educational films, then made this one movie, and then went back and made educational films again. So it was it's it's cool because not a lot of his work is known. Um, that was my my first one. We did one about like you know the evolution of trash, which you, mm. you wouldn't think is that ephemeral thing, but it's really changed this whole consumerism trash thing. But then most recently, uh, I worked on a, I, I call it a two and a half part series about the history of video games. Yes, which was, uh, yeah. My favorite. That's that, that that that's like my child to me, honestly, at this point. Now, Max broke his heart for some of this stuff, folks. And when you check out these episodes that Max and I have uh have described to you in brief, you will understand there's uh there's a marathon here. Uh and ephemeral again is one of my absolute favorite shows. I don't say this lightly, so we are very, very fortunate to have to have Max Philly not just double duty, not just super producer, not just host, not just guest host, uh, but also research associate here because Max, you have been researching a marathon. And it's not, it's not, a, you know, it's not a editing marathon. It's not a, it's not a late night sound cue marathon. It's an actual marathon that took place in 1904. What's going on, man? What, what caught you about this story? So a uh, funny story. We actually have these like monthly or bi-monthly uh, pitch meetings we do. It's, so it's you, me, Noel, uh, Jeff Bartlett and Zach Williams, our lovely uh, research associates. And we were all sitting down on the most recent one. And I had a list of just a couple like quick ones. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, this 1904 one, this seems like this seems like something we would have done. And we start off the meeting and Noel opens up his mouth. And he goes, <laughs> I can't believe we haven't done this story yet, guys, but I can't find a record of it. Have you guys heard of this thing called the 1904 <laughs> marathon? And I just scream <laughs> at him I'm like, like you thief, you stole that from me. Obviously, you did not steal it from me. I think we're probably looking at similar sources, but uh, mm. yeah, the 1904 Olympics. I mean, so you gotta remember, this is really early on in modern Olympic history. Modern, it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, they were not a very normal Olympics, so like, there was a lot of things happening. I mean, first and foremost, this Olympics was tied directly with the World's Fair, which was celebrating the 100-year anniversary of the Louisiana Purchase. So there was some weird timeline things. There was some other weird things we'll get to as well, which are uh, definitely not good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there were some great moments. Like, there was this guy named George Iser who earned six medals, three of them gold, which is very impressive considering he had a wooden leg. Oh, put the sound cue in. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there were some parts of this Olympics that were not as good, such as the anthropology days. Mm, I don't love it, Max. Tell everybody what the anthropology days was. Uh, th this really super racist thing they did for white people to enjoy. Uh, to really break it down more, so they would recruit a group of savages. The air quotes are doing heavy work there to. Uh, compete in this international village showing all the different, you know, uh, people of the world, I guess. That's what they were trying to do when they'd have them do these terrible competitions like grease pole climbing, ethnic dancing, whatever that means, and mm. mudslinging. Mm -hmm. And it was 
pretty much primarily for entertainment. So yeah, as you can see, these Olympics were weird. They're not what you would think of as like we did with, you know, the most recent Beijing Olympics or the 2020 Olympics. They're not to that level yet. But the weirdest thing, or at least the most famous weirdest thing in this thing was the marathon. Which is a super ancient part of the Olympics. The idea of, yeah, the idea of, basically running your butt off <laughs> and, and that's it that's what the like the the marathon is not necessarily a team sport it's one individual going very far on foot that's the concept of the marathon we can we can play a little bit with the history of it but what you need to know folks is that in 1904 as as Max just described, in St. Louis or St. Louis, however you feel, uh, the uh, the idea of holding these ancient Olympic sports was seen as a kind of mark of authenticity. So, in the in the marathon in 1904, there's this concept of acknowledging, paying tribute to the old, old story of the original marathon, <laughs> which is messed up on its own. It's super yeah. messed up. But uh, <laughs> but the thing is with this, the reason, Max, you and I are talking about it now is that from the beginning, this thing was not necessarily what you would picture as a quote-unquote honest sporting event. It was, as Karen Abbott puts it, writing for Smithsonian, it's kind of a sideshow. That might be the nicest way to describe it was a sideshow. Um, it was a disaster. So <laughs> I have two yeah. things I want to preface with before we really dive into this. So the first one is no one died. Right. I think it's really important. We're going we're gonna to have some fun with this one, and we want to start off with that, that nobody died during this. The reason why I bring that up is I reached out to a friend of mine who, little backstory, is my friend Vic. He was born and grew up in the St. Louis area. He went to college at Tulane in Louisiana, New Orleans area, mm-hmm. and now he lives in Atlanta. So he knows humidity. I was asking about this, and when I was telling him about this race, <laughs> he goes, he also used to run marathons. He's running like the Boston. Oh, he he almost made the Boston Marathon a couple times. He's running like the Atlanta Marathon. He's run a bunch of marathons in his life. Um, so he gets about, it. He gets it completely. And he, his first response was, did someone die doing this? And I go, no, by a miracle, no one died doing this. But he, I asked him about like what the weather in around August in St. Louis is. And he told me some about that. But I'll piece that in later in this. Yeah. I think at first we should kind of look at the field of people competing in this event. So there was 32 runners and there were some legit runners. Like there's some people who had competed in the Boston marathon or another Olympic events, but this is where that whole anthropology games thing Ooh. feeds in. They were also just kind of grabbing some people who were representing their countries at the anthropology games Ooh. and making them run this God awful race. God-awful is not a bad term for this, Max. Uh, There are are people, as you said, who placed in earlier Olympics, right? But most of the folks are kind of, I would say, publicity hires. They're like, if you look at the roster, then you can immediately see that there are a lot of folks who have placed in middle distance running, we call it, which is, uh, <laughs> okay, uh, to, to lay it out very simply, there's the sprint, right? Go as fast as you can for a short distance. There's the middle distance runners, and then there's the marathon. And to put it in summary, the sprint is like 100 meters, Um, like the middle distance might be like one mile, which is not converted to meters very well, but we're going to go with it to like five miles. A marathon is like 25 miles. Right, right. And so the majority of people involved in this in 1904 in this marathon 
are really good at a hundred a hundred meters, or they're really yeah. good at a at a small collection of miles, and they are they they're additionally considered um, oh how should we say it oddities like oh look at this look at this America here's somebody running uh, we have to let's you know what let's do a little sports center thing can we sound cue that real quick da 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 that's actually okay. the sound cue done very sarcastically <laughs> so here we go uh so max and i are making sure we don't get sued but we're going into the scene as 1904 sports center commentators all right here we go Join here with uh, Maxwell Williams, a lead American commentator on the 1904 Marathon Olympic. Uh, Maxwell, who do you see as the top competitors here? So, Ben, I see Sam Miller as one of my favorites, of course, A.L. Newton. Should not doubt him at all. Uh, we have John Lorden, Michael Sprig. And, of course, Mr. Thomas Hicks, yeah, I think he has oh. to be the front runner. But I will have someone who we should not look over. He is a bricklayer. He is earning his Olympic spot after qualifying in a five-mile special thing. That is Mr. Fred Lors. Fred Lors, those are my favorites in this race. Who do you have, Mr. Ben? Well, it appears that we are on the same page of the same mind, Mr. Maxwell, because, of course, you cannot speak of... Uh... You cannot speak of a St. Louis Marathon without speaking of Fred Laws, the underdog, sponsored by the Amateur Athletic Union. Now I understand we have some oddities here. Oh, that seems like even a terrible term even at this point in time, but we have 10 people from <laughs> Greece competing in this race. They are not named, by the way, but we also have two men from the Sunna tribe, and we did not get them shoes. They are running barefooted. But my favorite of all these is the Cuban national and former mailman, Felix Carvajal. He brings all the carbs in this hall. Oh, <laughs> you worked on that. Okay, and scene. So, and scene. so it's right, though. It's all accurate. This this happened. Uh, the, the idea of oddities is already, you know... Ages like milk. Uh, this guy, Felix, he uh, he has a lot in common with some of the folks we talked about in our earlier episode on uh, Puerto Rico nationals going to the Olympics. He is raising money and he goes to the U.S. based entirely upon the fact that he is very good and like this guy ran across cuba he he got to new orleans and what happened max uh so he got to new orleans he had raised all this money to get in the competition and you know he was having fun new orleans is a fun city i'm assuming it was in 1904 still too um and he ended up losing all of his money in a dice game so now he's in this foreign country has no money has to get St. Louis. So he hitchhikes and walks all the way there. So he shows up at this marathon. He's also, by the way, he's five feet tall. He's a very short guy. Yeah, yeah. Five full stop. Not five six, not five two. Not five and five. like a third of an inch. No, five feet tall. And he's wearing a white long sleeve shirt, dark pants, a beret, and street shoes. It's actually, it's funny because one of the other Olympians looked like, felt bad for the guy and found some scissors and cut his, made some like, cutoffs for him with his <laughs> pants because it's like, dude, you're not seriously about to run this marathon, a marathon in full pants, right? Gotta air out the feet. Gotta get right. the shins some ventilation. Here we go. It's August 30th. 1904. It's not 3 p.m. It's 3.03 p.m. 
and a guy named David R. Francis, who is president of the Louisiana Purchase Exposition Company, which he he does the equivalent of throwing the starting pitch, right? He he fires the starting pistol and off they go in the worst weather ever. Right. So this is why I reached out to my friend Vic initially. I was like, hey, Vic, we have terrible weather here in Atlanta. It is so stinking hot during the summer. How does that match up with St. Louis around this time of year? He goes, so in like May and June, St. Louis's humidity is not as bad as Atlanta's. But in July and August, oh, it's like unlivably Shoot. hot. So it's like, it's yeah, true. it's like it's 90 degrees with 90 like percent humidity outside. It is just awful. And we have to talk about this course. It wasn't just bad, but like like bad weather. This course is horrendous. Just so god awful. It's 24.85 miles. That's the length, but it's not really an actual course. It's just like they're running just kind of through like the roads of St. Louis with just Dust and dirt everywhere. Cars driving by, traffic, giant hills, uh, people walking their dogs, railroads, everything. Basically, it's just kind of like looks like it would be something out of like a slapstick, like silent movie, like sketch. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about we're talking about multiple hills. This is not a straightaway. They're not running twenty five miles just on an even stretch. They're going up and down and around. And as you noted, Max, there's also a ton of obstacles. There, there are stones that are across the roadway. So picture you're 14 miles in, you know, and all of a sudden you have to jump over, <laughs> like you have to jump over some stuff in the road, Mario Brothers style. Uh, or you have you so you have to you have to like also dodge traffic. I shouldn't have even said like it's not a simile. These people had to <laughs> run almost twenty five miles and play Frogger basically the entire way, and then there were like. Okay, here's how unofficial it was. There are people walking their dogs, right, on the same pathway. And here comes one of the favorites of the race or whatever. And now you have to now you have to watch out for this uh Sharpay or this hound dog. And there are no real infrastructure systems. I think it it was weren't you saying uh there were just a there were like two places where people could get water? Okay, so in like some real like vault tech level like evilness behind the scenes shadowiness. They were actually using this marathon to test how human bodies were going to react from dehydration. So the chief organizer for the games, this guy named James Sullivan, had it set up that there was only two places in this entire stretch where you could get water. One at a water tower six miles in and another one at a like roadside well 12 miles in. So that meant like the last half of the race, you couldn't even get water. And like there's just so many things wrong with it. So like there was like cars driving alongside with like doctors and the coaches because of course they needed doctors because they thought somebody was going to die during this thing. Keep it legal. I get it. Yeah, but th the cars that they were driving were just kicking up dirt in these guys' faces and making the running even worse. And, I mean, I think this is an important time to say this. Remember, there was 32 people who entered this marathon. 14 of them finished. Which is the lowest number, even now, in Olympic history. It's the lowest number of people successfully completing a marathon. So, Max, what do you say knowing that we only have 14 people who have finished, what do you say we do a uh, little laundry list? You want to round Robin, some of these folks and their fates, like maybe we can, maybe we can picture it the way that so many eighties films about high school end, 
where they have like <laughs> they have like the freeze frame of the person and like then, Animal House, where it says like what they all went on to do afterwards yeah, and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah, so, totally. just so. Okay, you start. All right, cool. So one of the first guys we're going to talk about is this guy named John Lorden. John, John London, like how I read his name the first seven times I read this document. <laughs> uh, John Lorden, remember, he's one of the favorites. Uh, those oh, yeah. crazy, weird 1900 sportscasters from earlier in this podcast listed him. He is just running along and then he just starts like throwing up, just like cannot stop throwing up. And he's like, nah, I'm done. I cannot do this race. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, William Garcia, of California, who's kind of like another person who's imagined to be really successful, a true contender. He is in the front for a while. But as you mentioned, Max, there's a lot of dust getting kicked up from people who are still using these roads. Nothing is blocked off from civilians. And this guy is eating dust, which sounds you know, counterintuitive. Uh, he's he's in the front and he's eating so much dust that his stomach rebels and he has a hemorrhage in his guts. He has a stomach hemorrhage and luckily people get to him before he bleeds out. So he survives, but uh, he does not win. Right. There's a reason we said very early on that nobody dies in this race. We got to we <laughs> want to make sure because there's some stuff that in here that is a, a, a little horrific. But uh, here is one that was almost an inspiring story. Uh, it's one of the South African runners. Remember the guys who were like the oddities who didn't mm -hmm. have shoes. This guy's name is Len Tanyan. I believe I'm saying that correctly. Apologies if I'm not. So he was not expected to do really anything. None of these oddities were they were kind of unfortunately there just to be entertainment for people. But he was actually running really well. He was like competing for a medal. But then a wild pack of dogs chased him and he's running away from them. And they chased him a mile off course. And just to point out how bonkers this race was, this guy got chased a mile off course by a pack of wild dogs and finished ninth. He came back. That's the most bonkers thing about it, Max. He, he he gets chased by a pack of dogs, feral canines, and then I guess he loses them or outruns them because he's that good at running. And the dogs he gets are like, back dude, it's too course. hot out here, man. <laughs> so let's let's talk about uh, next. Let's talk about Felix. Oh yeah, Mister Carbajal. So I would say Tanyan's got the fourth most interesting story of this race. And Carbajal is the third most, which says mm. a lot because he's just jogging along. And you got to think this guy probably wasn't eating very well. You remember, he's hitchhiking and walking all the way from New Orleans. There's a story about him at one point in this race, seeing some people who were eating some peaches in their car. And he just kind of runs up, asks them for one. They say no, he just takes two and runs off. But he's just jogging along. and He's just like ridiculously hungry. And he sees this patch of apples and he's like, well, I mean, I guess, why not? Why not? So he goes over there, picks some apples, eats them, goes back jogging. And he's like, oh, I don't feel so good. Turns out the apples were rotten. And Ugh. he lays down on the side of the road and just says, I'm taking a nap, man. I'm done. I'm taking a nap. Yeah. Uh, also, again, uh, apples originally are from Kazakhstan. There is a super interesting story about the mutation of apples uh we should do we should do an apples episode man let's let's do it as soon as uh but felix still places yeah he finishes fourth the guy lays down and takes a nap during this stinking competition and he finishes fourth that shows you how stupid this competition was <laughs> oh my gosh tell us how you really feel all right let's talk about let's also talk about the um what would you call him man Fred Lors, should the we Brick call Lair him? Extreme. Yeah, uh, yeah, crowd favorite. Uh, let's see. Uh, originally, he was in the papers as the winner of the 1904 Olympic Marathon. He was, yeah. Yeah, the, the title read on August 31st, 1904, an American has won the Olympic Marathon. I mean, that, that that's a pretty big deal right now. But so, yeah. Uh, Fred Loris crosses the finish line first and 
it's a big deal. Uh, Alice Roosevelt, the daughter of the president, is there. She's like like looping a gold medal around his neck and like they're taking photos together and everything's great. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, somebody from the crowd comes and goes, hey, that guy cheated. <laughs> You're a phony. Yeah. You're a big phony. <laughs> so, oh gosh, this is so, this, this is immensely and endlessly hilarious to me. And Max, you're the one who hit me to this. So the honors go to you, sir. Why, why is Fred not the winner today? Yeah, so um, this is how it was reported in the Louisville Courier Journal. Fred Lorg, which is just how they spelt his name, I guess. Fred mm-hmm. Lorg of New York City was the first to cross the goal line. But he was immediately disqualified on the charge he had ridden about three miles in an automobile traversing the course over country roads. Lorg readily admitted that he had done so of physical exhaustion at the time. There's something wrong with that past statement right there. And this is it. They said he rode in the car for three miles. Let's try 11 miles. 11 miles. Almost half of the course he did. Right. So he was jogging on. He went the first nine miles. And remember, like, that's a lot. I mean, remember, 18 of these guys didn't finish this race. And he just started cramping up. And, you know, I, I kind of just imagine he had this whole, like, ah, screw this. This is stupid. And so he jumped in the car with his coach, and he's just like, take me to the end of this thing. And I personally, I so later on, he would go on to say that he did this all as a joke. He was never going to accept the honors. He just uh-huh. gave up and quit. That's what he said. Sure. Who sure. knows if that's true or not? It's probably not. But so he gets in the car, and they're just driving by, and he's waving at everyone. Like, he's not, like, hiding it at all. Oh, he's waving at other runners as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spectators, runners, coaches, everyone. And I'm guessing when they're driving, he's driving by, like everyone just assumed that he had to quit the race or something like that. I mean, there's people like, I mean, there's a guy who in the first couple of miles almost dies of a stomach hemorrhage. Like there's going to be people who are going to be around the cars. But, you know, with like, like what is like four miles left? He says, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good. Let me out. I'm going to jog the rest. And at that point, <laughs> Thomas Hicks, one of his coaches sees him and he goes, hey, get off the course. And and like Lord's is like, what do you do? Run me down? And so he just runs and finishes the race. Da 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 da. And Boom. we are we are introducing the decided winner eventually. After after this uh shenanigan gets revealed to the public, Thomas Hicks wins and is considered the winner of the 1904 Olympic marathon. It's the <laughs> slowest in Olympic history up to this time. Uh, we're looking at three hours, 28 minutes, and 53 seconds, which is honestly, for most of us listening, an awesome time. If you run a little less than 25 miles in less than four hours, well done. But um, but Hicks had some stuff going on as well. This this whole thing is is a mess of spaghetti. Like, uh, let's talk about Hicks for a sec. Yeah, I mean, the line that this is a sideshow is one hundred percent correct. I mean, this is this is just this, this is not good. I mean, put in summary, like the stuff that Hicks and his camp did during this race would disqualify anyone in modern day Olympics. I mean, there are oh, multiple sure. things he did, but. I mean, so the get remember early on, Hicks is one of the favorites in this race. He was just mm-hmm. one of the front runners from the entire time. But around like the 10 mile mark, he starts cramping and feeling terrible. And he like waves down his support crew and he's like, hey, I need some water guys. And, you know, I, I feel like his crew had a lot of weird conceptions of what was good for the runners, what was bad for the runners. <laughs> so they refused right. to give him water. No water. They And eventually they go like, OK, you can have this distilled warm water that we're going to sponge around your mouth. And then, like, he somehow recovers. He keeps going. He goes about, like, eight more miles. And then he's like, guys, I, I seriously, I cannot go any farther. I cannot go any farther. Remember, like, nobody's really making it that far in this run. Like, this guy's out in the front. And they're like, okay, you got to push through. They make him this concoction of strychnine, which is uh, still in use today. It's mostly used in rat poisons, but it is has some other less legal purposes as well. They take the strychnine and mix it with egg whites into this concoction, and he chugs it. Like, you know, goes full-blown like Rocky Balboa if 
Rocky Balboa had, um, you know, some rats living inside of him. He want to get rid of. I don't know. But sure. like the reason the reason why he used strychnine is in very small doses, it has a stimulant-esque effect. So not only is this guy poisoning himself, but he's, you know, what doing what we call nowadays in Olympics, doping. He's literally doping in the middle of the race. It was funny is they also had a flask of brandy. French brandy, ah. by the way. Not not cognac. It wasn't from cognac, but French brandy. And they said, you don't need it yet. We'll give it to you later. Okay. Yeah. You're good. You're good, bro. Just, you know, chin up. Get your stuff together. Uh, <laughs> the strychnine that is going through this man's system is damaging him. Obviously, spoiler alert, he is having a hard time running because he has poisoned himself. And when he hears that our buddy Lors called, well, he hitchhiked, but he basically called an Uber, I would say. Uh, when, when, when he hears that guy has cheated and been found out, he says, Ugh, I still got it. I still got it despite the rat poison and he tries to run, but the best run he can do is kind of a clop, 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 a trot, you know? Yeah. And, and his trainers are like, you know, what'll fix this a little more strychnine. Yeah. More poison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they gave him some more strychnine and this time they gave him uh, some brandy to go along with those delicious egg whites. And they mm. even got some mm, like mm, warm mm. water and they just dumped it all over him. Cause you know, what feels great when you're out in this probably what, what would you guess? Probably like 105, 110 degree heat index weather. Sure. Let's just dump, yeah. some, dump some hot water on you. Let's, Cause even if it started warm, it's going to be hot by the time you dump it on him. There is a quote from a race official by the name of Charles Lucas, where he goes on to say over the last two miles of the road, Hicks was running mechanically like a well-oiled piece of machinery. His eyes were dull, lusterless. The ashen color of his face and skin had deepened. His arms appeared as weights well tied down. He could scarcely lift his legs. His knees were almost stiff. So this guy is tripping now. Yes. Okay, just to be very clear, folks, this guy is actively hallucinating. He does not really know where he is in our reality in our shared dimension, <laughs> he's off on this thing. You know, he's in the upside down or whatever you want to call it. And he thinks the finish line is still 20 miles away. So in the very last mile, he starts asking, like, anybody will come by. He's like, please feed me. I'm starving. Oh, please let me just, let me lie down for a second. Let me, let me get a nap. And what does his team do? Well, they first hand him some brandy. Right. They get him drunk again. And, and then, then they say, also, we have some tea if you want. And he's like, nah, just anybody. What's our egg white situation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of a slap in the face. Like, do you want this hot tea? I'm just assuming the tea is hot. <laughs> it's like, do you of want course. this hot tea? It's like. Why are you doing this to this guy? Why is this competition <laughs> happening? <laughs> like, how did no one die in this thing? That it, it is really a miracle that it really needs to be rehashed. That's why we say it at the front. So old boy is not running at this point. Spoiler, folks. He is walking <laughs> and uh, he he walks up again. We said there were seven hills and they had a pretty steep incline. And so he is walking up these hills, just powering through it, kind of day drunk at this point, definitely uh, dealing with the consequences of rat poison. <laughs> and, then, and then he gets the max, he gets like to the downward slope and he says, okay, I'll jog a little, I'll jog a little. I might run. I might want to get to the finish line running. You know, it's a marathon. That's what we're about. How's he do? Uh, yeah, not well. So he gets in there and he's trying to run and he's doing that whole like stumbling the leg thing. Like you'll see like people in marathons stuff do that at the very end because, you know, they've run like all this distance. He's doing it because, as you said, he's day drunk and hallucinating. So this is 
this is another thing that obviously would have disqualified him and many other like racing events nowadays is he has two trainers kind of run up and they go underneath his arms and they're basically just carrying him. His legs are just kind of like they're, they're moving. They're moving. He's like a puppet kind of going, but he's not yeah. doing any of the moving. They're moving him the rest of the way. And like, you know, Loris has crossed the finish line. They don't know where one of the South African dudes are. Carbajal is still taking a nap. This thing's a disaster. So they're like, Sure, he's the winner. Why not? We're not like right. Alice Roosevelt has to get somewhere, guys. Like, we just got it. We got to end this thing. Like, <laughs> come on. So he gets across the finish line. He's declared the winner. He it takes four doctors an hour to get him like, in good enough shape so he can leave. They say he lost eight pounds during the race, which is ridiculous. Remember, three and a half hours. That's how long this was. Mm-hmm. Lost eight pounds, three and a half hours. And he would go on to say, Never in my life have I run such a tough course. The terrific hills simply tear a man to pieces. Yeah. And again, his team carried him across the finish line the same way for any for any of our ridiculous historians who are parents, you know, you remember how when you took your kid into a pool, you sort of held the kid by the belly and the kid's like, ah, I'm swimming. <laughs> and you're thinking... You're saying, sure you are. You're doing a great job. But proud you of you, buddy. Your, proud of you, yeah, buddy. Super props to you, kid. But uh, later, Hicks and Lors compete in the Boston Marathon, and Lors doesn't call a car. He actually does run, and uh, respect where it's due, uh, he wins. But... Max, one thing that was really interesting to me about this, when we were talking about this off air, and and again, when you found this idea, and we're in this pitch meeting, and you said, here's, here's something that really stood out to me. One thing that was fascinating was that you said the marathon wasn't the only weird thing about the 1904 Olympics. No. Well, and I do want to give equal credit to Mr. Noel. He found it. We both we were both looking in the same direction. We both found a brilliant story. Uh, yeah, 1904 Olympics were really weird. I mean, I mean, th- th- this is really early on. The Olympics coming back. This does not resemble what we have right now. So one of the first really weird things is calling this the Olympics is really not what you want. Olympics is a global event with countries competing. Here's the thing, 1904, getting to St. Louis, that's not an easy city to get to. If you, if It's smack dab in the middle of the United States. Like, the only way you're going to get in is you go to New Orleans and go up the Mississippi. It's not, it's not an easy way. So by the time this Olympics started, there was only 12 countries. 523 of the 630 total athletes were Americans. Half the competitions only featured Americans. So it's ridiculous. And the Americans won 239 medals at this Olympics. This was not an Olympics. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Another reason why this wasn't an Olympics was, you know, Olympics were like, what, like two weeks long, a little more than two weeks. This was five months long. So like <laughs> a lot of the track and field events did happen in a pretty short time period. But remember, it was kind of designed, and there's more stories to this. Originally, the Olympics were supposed to be in Chicago. There's a lot more to this that you that you all can go research on your own if you are so inclined and want to learn more about this. It's, it's, there's a lot to this. But mm-hmm. it was... This Olympics is designed to be mostly like a promotion for the fair. So it has to run the entire length of a fair. Fairs last the a lot World's longer. Fair. Yeah. Right. The World's Fair, the Louisiana Purchase, 100 years, blah, blah, blah. Huge, big deal. <laughs> Anthropology <laughs> games, racist BS type stuff. Yeah. yeah. It, has to, it has to really be a promotional boo. for that. Yeah. Boo. Very much boo. As, as, but. So it runs this entire time. So they have some ridiculous events. So they have a uh, military athletic carnival. They have an Irish sports festival, which I'm just assuming was really racist, and a <laughs> YMCA basketball championship. A YMCA what? basketball championship. Well, hey, hey, of the three you just named, that's probably the most legit, Max. Oh, that's God. probably the. They're probably actually playing basketball, folks. Max is our resident expert on sports in general please check out our curling episodes if you haven't heard them earlier uh 
I know you got feelings about this, man. I know. Are you a basketball guy? We haven't really talked about this. Huge basketball. I would always say basketball's of like the major sports in America. Basketball's number two on my list behind uh, baseball. I used to be a bigger football fan, but uh, I mean, football I love, but it's hard to watch football when, you know, you get like five minutes of football and then 20 minutes commercials. Mm-hmm. That's my, it's that's known. my true opinions. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's true. Uh, football, football in the U S is a different sport from football in the rest of the world. Right. right. Uh, the U S residents call actual football soccer. And we have a thing that is an excellent vehicle for commercials. And that is, that is what, your u.s friends call football but dude it's killing me i'm wondering you know i always think about this what makes a sport an olympic sport and you pointed out you and i both know this there are many sports that kind of had tryouts in Mm -hmm. one year of the olympics or the next year and don't make it into the official canonical roster of olympic sports Uh, (laughs) I, i i gotta ask man why isn't dodgeball in there? I, I don't feel know. like I feel like maybe it's because the Olympics uh, typically prizes individual performance. That that's part of it. And if you have an idea for a solo dodgeball performance, let us know. But you pointed out. Uh, <laughs> You pointed out one of your favorite uh, Olympic sports of yesteryear. Please. They had tug of war. They had tug of war. And this was not even the tug of war. And and a couple of things I want to say is first and foremost, this had been in a couple of Olympics already and was in the Olympics till 1920. And also tug of war is like such like when you look at it, it looks like a Greek Olympic sport, like like an old school classic Olympic sport. For sure. It looks like we just invented rope. Let's make it a thing. And then there's a uh, there's a pit in the middle full of spikes because we're talking about that that period of of athletics sure. where athletics usually ended with somebody being impaled. Squid games. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these when you think of Olympics, you think of modern Olympics, you'd think they would look a lot more like what Olympics look like right now. But there was a lot of oddities. Uh, we're actually going to have another episode about a different really weird olympic sport that was in there for a very long time and not talked about we're not going to talk about that right now uh we ha- we're mm. working on the research for that one that one's coming up we're gonna have that one with mr <laughs> Knowles back but uh yeah yeah this was some weird this was a weird ass olympics ben that's that's all there is to say and you know the marathon's just like you know the cherry on top of it all oh yeah yeah this is our our way in i i think it's fair to say that the concept of the olympics overall is really strange it speaks to something universal and human about uh, a lot of civilizations and cultures but also it's been used for any number of purposes uh i full disclosure max uh i'm I'm writing an episode about the IOC for a different show called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. And if you are interested, I'm going to ask you on air, if you are interested, I would like you to guest on it. Oh, most definitely. I I have uh, very strong feelings on the IOC. I mean, I say most corrupt sports organizations in the world. It's FIFA's number one. That's widely accepted. IOC... Kind of like they they slide in just underneath FIFA though it's like right there and put in summary how close they are like NCAA which literally serves no purpose in college football any longer or college basketball. Oh my uh, gosh, we're at the end of the episode and you're popping off you're popping off the hot shots real quick right you're running the clock out. IOC by the way folks is International Olympic Committee. Yeah, NCAA super corrupt, terrible. Um, nowhere close to as bad as FIFA and IOC are. IOC is just, there is, Ben, I bet you you'll cover a lot of that in the Stuff That I Want You To Know episode, but that's just my opinion on there right now. But I don't, Ben, you want to turn this a little bit more positive on the end and just talk about some more cheaters in the Olympics? (laughs) Oh, oh, okay, you got me on that one. Uh, Yeah, okay, tell me, tell me, hip us all. 
All right, so I'm going to hit us with a couple of these. Uh, so we have uh, Spyridon Bellicus. He was Lors before Lors. That's probably the best way to say it. So in the 1896 uh, Olympic marathon, he finished third. And everyone's like, yay. And he was he was Greek. The first and second place finishers were Greek. So it's like, the Greeks sweep the podium. No, the guy took a chariot. This guy was on a chariot. Oh. I mean, he didn't, have a, he didn't have a gas-powered car or whatever cars are powered off of in that race. But yeah, he did that. Uh, probably my second favorite one I found, we have Madeline and Margaret de Jesus. They are, well, correction, Madeline, this is an important distinction. She is an Olympic athlete for Puerto Rico in the 1984 LA Summer Games. So she's going to compete in two events. She's going to do the long jump, and then she's going to be in the 4x400 relay. Problem is, she pulls her hamstring during long jumps. Mm. So you're like, oh no, they got to get the sub, they're going to have to get the sub in, or maybe they don't have a sub. Who all knows? But she makes a miraculous recovery and runs the marathon, except she didn't because she has ah. an identical twin sister named Margaret who ran in her place. <laughs> and to make matters worse, it's not like Margaret was on the team. Margaret was just there watching the festivities. She, I mean, granted, she was, she had like tried out for the team. She didn't make the team, but she was a runner herself. But they uh-huh. just went and grabbed her from the stadium and just said, come down there. I mean, it's, it's at least better than grabbing like you and me, but like not much better. And they were like immediately disqualified. So that I was don't that. know, man. I think you would do, I, I think because it's a relay, you know, we get by with a little help from our friends. <laughs> so, so we could, you know, we could strategize. I don't know if we would get the gold. I'm just going to be honest with you, but between you Noel, me, and our fellow ridiculous historians, I think we could, I think we could place. I'm going to say, I think we could place. We got a lot of fast minds in the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they, they're going to have to carry me. Uh, that, 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 that's the least. Like I'm going to be holding up the rear in my portion of it, but I'm fine with that. I've come to peace with that, but bro, I'll carry you. I, <laughs> I know, I know the survival roles, all this stuff. Like, uh, R-O-L-L-S, by the way, folks. Uh, you know, I can... Actually, we might be hanging out in person in a little bit. So uh, I, I will... If you if you want to test it, let's test it. Uh, I will pick you up and see how far we can run. Sounds good. But there is one more group of cheaters I want to name, and then we can go ahead and exit this episode out. Mm. And that is the Tunisian Modern Pentathlon Team. So... We're talking 1960s Olympics. For people who don't know what the pentathlon is, it is being penta five sports. It is fencing, freestyle swimming, equestrian, pistol shooting, and cross-country running. So the Tunisian team was not doing well. So they're doing the horseback riding section, and one of the guys falls off the horse. They're doing the swimming section, and one of the swimmers nearly drowned. They get up to the shooting section. Air pistol shooting. They think they're going to do really well, and they nearly shoot a judge and get disqualified. Again, no one dies in this episode. No one dies in this episode. We we we're, we're like ridiculous crime in this aspect. No one's dying in this episode. <laughs> um, yes. So they go into the fencing, and obviously they're like in the last place. And they say we got to make some sort of comeback. So we. we they probably can't win it, but at least have more respectable showing. And so they say, you know what? Fencers wear masks. Let's just send our best guy up there with every single time, different number or whatever, but same mask on. No one will notice. Yeah. They noticed very quickly and they got disqualified <laughs> like that. Ah, uh, well, that's how it happens sometimes. What we're saying, folks, is that there is a lot of trickery. There are a lot of shenanigans that occur, not just in yesteryear, but often in Olympics today. Uh, as anyone checking out the Russian doping scandal will be well aware, uh, you know, I want to give props where they're due. Mr. Max Williams here has, in addition to producing every episode that you like and none of the episodes that you don't like, by the way, uh, he has, uh, <laughs> he, he has brought to bear, uh, quite a bit of research that we may not get to today. So perhaps the best way to say it is the Olympics as a concept 
really nice. The Olympics as a practice, as a real world event, whew, it's a it's always a lampoon. <laughs> it turns oh. out. <laughs> now, do you uh now Max, I want to give you the last word here. What what would you say to our fellow ridiculous historians who are wondering about more Olympics trivia? What would you what do you what do you want to leave people with as our special guest today? Uh I'm gonna go really simple here and because this this came up very much in the most recent Winter Olympics. Put the Olympics in places where these sports should be performed. We should not have people running a marathon <laughs> in 90 degree weather with 90% yes. humidity. We should not have a Winter Olympics in an area that does not go below freezing. This mm. is just sample stuff. Uh, yeah, some of the additional research we have, there was unfortunately some talk about, you know, the 1936 uh, Berlin Olympics where, like, you know, they gave the Olympics to Berlin. Then they elected Hitler and put Hitler in power. Don't I, hold, you can hold these people accountable if you want to. I mean, there has been some pandering to dictators over these last, you know, couple decades by the Olympic. Oh, Canadians, what so. are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, Ben, the Olympics are a beautiful event. It is really cool in concept, but they will abuse it. They will siphon money. They will turn a blind eye to cheating and stuff. If we don't hold them accountable and you know, it's simple, put these people on blast and that that's fine with me. Cause I love the Olympics. I watch the Olympics nonstop. I have a Peacock subscription just for watching the Olympics and now Sunday morning baseball. I didn't think I would love it, but 11 a.m. baseball is amazing on a Sunday. It is amazing. I sleep in, I wake up, I put on the Orioles versus the Cubs mm -hmm. or whatever random teams they put on there. And it's great guys. But I know, Olympics are awesome. The IOC sucks. That's my parting words. Wow. Hot takes. Uh, also, takes I agree with, you know, whether we're saying the temperature of those takes is a nice, uh, nice spring day or whether we're saying those takes are the temperature of the 1904 St. Louis Marathon. So that's it for us today, folks. Uh, thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Let's have a big hand for not only our super producer, Mr. Max Williams, but also our guest host, Mr. Max Williams. Also, our research associate for today's episode, Mr. Max Williams. And if you're hearing this by yourself, I highly recommend clapping. It's weird to me that clapping is not an Olympic sport because there is an art and athleticism and a craft to it. Uh, Max, who else should we thank? Oh, so many more people. But before I start thanking people, just don't clap if you're on a plane. No one likes you if you're clapping on the plane. But other people we should thank, we should obviously thank our full-time research associates, Jeff Bartlett and Zach Williams. They are amazing. We should uh, thank Alex Williams, who is making this lovely theme song and is also my older brother. Uh, Matt Frederick, because he has a beautiful singing voice and is my uh, work older brother, I guess. I called him that one time and I'm sticking to it. I don't know why. It's weird. I work with my actual brother. Who knows? We'll go with it. Uh, let's see. I want to give a special shout out to all of our sister shows, Ridiculous Crime, Ridiculous Romance, mm. and Ridiculous mm. News. Those are all yeah. great shows. If you like this show and you haven't checked those shows out, then what are you doing? Why aren't you? They're amazing. Yeah. They're better than us. Yeah, the whole slate is is better. To be honest, if you like if you like our little show, then you're gonna love ridiculous romance. And you really will. Uh, you're going to adore ridiculous crime. And you are going to be over the moon about ridiculous news. Now, Max Knoll and I work assiduously to try to get guest spots, to try to have those folks on our shows. And the most important thing to remember is that all of these shows are free. And we have it on good authority that all of the people creating these shows are kind of awesome. They're, again, they're like a little, I'm going to say it objectively, Noel gets mad when I point it out, but they're a little, they're a little cooler than us. 
they're vastly more qualified than us too. We're just some like buffoons that they gave them mics to. They are actually very funny and very intellectual people. Okay, come on. Fine. Enough. Moving on. <laughs> uh, shout out as always to Eves Jeffco, Christopher Asiotis, our boy Gabe Lucier. Uh, shout out as well to uh, my number one, Mr. Noel Brown, uh, who sends his regards, will be returning soon. We cannot wait to hear what you think, folks. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on social media, whatever social media you happen to sip. Ridiculous History is probably there. Max, I got to say, you've outdone yourself. This is awesome. And you and I are overdue to go see either, I don't know, Atlanta United or the Braves together. Do you have a pick? Do you have a preference? Uh, We could try to do both in one day. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.